Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents and a reverent dive into lesser-known stories about the early American presidents. I'm Howard Dory, and I'm joined, as always, by my esteemed wife, Jessica Dory. Hello there. Can I just say something before we start? Uh, how could I stop you? <laughs> so we are recording in my parents' walk-in closet, and we're surrounded by their clothes. And I just want to note that it might not be the best thing to be surrounded by um, psychologically. I feel a lot of pressure just from my mother's clothing standing over me. There's probably a lot of scarves nearby that we could wrap around your eyes. Oh, so you want me to be the surrogate to the audience blindfolded? That's true. I mean, they don't really need to see me. I could be bonded up here for all we know. Maybe you are. (laughs) In our last episode, we talked about John and Abigail Adams. And today we're going to explore a very different presidential love story. Really? This one has mystery, scandal, and danger. I would expect nothing less from your stories. So we are going to be talking about Thomas Jefferson. Ah, I love Thomas Jefferson in some ways. He was an asshole in other ways, but... That pretty much sums up my feelings about Thomas Jefferson, too. (laughs) Uh, Thomas Jefferson, he was our first secretary of state, second vice president, and third president. But the story we're going to talk about today takes place before any of those things. Uh, Do you remember in Hamilton, uh, at the top of Act 2, Thomas Jefferson comes out and he says, what did I miss? Yeah. Okay. Because he was in France. He was in France. He says, I've been in Paris meeting lots of different ladies. I guess I basically missed the late 80s. We're going to be focusing on one of those ladies today. Really? Yes. We're going to be talking about a woman who broke Thomas Jefferson's heart and possibly his wrist. His wrist. Yes. The reason we're still talking about their relationship today is because she inspired him to write what one person called uh, one of the greatest love letters in the English language. Well, he probably did it with that fancy desk of his that writes two at once. He's probably writing these fancy letters to all his ladies. Well, if that's the case, he burned all of them except this one. Asshole. First, I want to take you to the lowest point in Thomas Jefferson's life. 1781. Jefferson had already been governor of Virginia. He'd written the Declaration of Independence. But at this point, he pretty much faded away from politics. He was at home taking care of his wife, Martha. They'd had five children. No wonder she needed help. Only two of them had survived. She had just had their sixth child, Lucy, and she never recovered from the childbirth. She lingered on for about four months. Jefferson took turns with his sister and her sister, sitting up all night. He gave her medicine. He nursed her. He was totally devoted to her. And as she lay dying, she made Thomas promise her something. She made him promise that he would never remarry. It sounds like that's a selfish request, right? I mean, yes, if you're passing away and you don't want the other person to ever have, you know, an intimate marriage again. 
Well, she didn't say you can't be intimate. She never wanted her daughters to have a stepmother. Her own mother had died giving birth to her, and she had two different stepmothers who were terrible. Mm. So Martha died, and Thomas was a mess. He had to be pulled from her bedside and taken to the library, and he fainted in the library, and he did not recover for a while. They thought he died, too. They thought he died in the library? Yeah. That's where I'm going to find your body. (laughs) First, we need a library. (laughs) He slept in his library for about three weeks, and he just paced inside the house. When he finally went outside, he rode his horse for hours through the woods with his daughter, Patsy. Um, She said he had frequent, violent bursts of grief. And he's terrible. Yeah. Uh, He said he'd fallen into a stupor of mind. He talked about wanting to kill himself, but he stayed alive for his daughters. We don't know a whole lot about his relationship with Martha, because after she died, he burned all of their letters. Uh, Martha Washington did the same thing with George Washington. Those Virginians really valued their privacy, and they didn't really keep intimate letters, unlike John Adams, who wrote to Abigail at one point and said, you need to get a leather binder. This is good shit. We need to keep it. Four years after his wife's death, Jefferson was offered a job as a minister to France. He was finally ready to see the world and open up again, and France was ready for him. So 1780s France, it was happening. Art, architecture, parties, big dresses, big wigs. This was the age of Marie Antoinette. Powder. Powder everywhere. Cakes. Cakes. He was having a ball. He was hanging out with the Marquis de Lafayette. Basically, most of the cast of Hamilton. (laughs) Um, You know Angelica Schuyler? Yes. Uh, In Hamilton, she says, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And when I meet Thomas Jefferson, I'm going to compel him to include women in the sequel. Oh, right. They did meet and they really hit it off. Mm Mm-hmm. She's not the subject of the story, but Angelica Schuyler does play into Thomas Jefferson's flirtatious friendships mm-hmm. with women. I can't really say that she compelled him to include women in a sequel to the Declaration, mm-hmm. because at one point he wrote to her, the tender breasts of ladies were not formed for political convulsion. Oh, there's a lot of meaning to that. Yeah. A lot of different meanings. I think he's basically saying that politics are nothing for you to shake your tits about. (laughs) Okay. So one day, Thomas Jefferson, uh, he's hanging out with John Trumbull, who's a famous painter. He painted the scene of the Declaration of Independence where everybody's signing it. All the paintings in the Capitol Rotunda were done by him. Oh. So he was a big deal. Another guy Jefferson's just hanging out with in France. And they went to see this big dome, the Hall of Bleu. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I took a lot of French in college, but I didn't pass much of it. <laughs> no, that can't be true. You got us around France, no problem. I memorized how to say, pardon me, do you speak English? Oh, is that what that interaction was? That was most of that our interaction. very impressive to me. I was like, wow, he's speaking French to this person, and now they're helping us in English. It's amazing. <laughs> well, when we were in France, there was this game that I like to play with people. I didn't realize I was playing it. They didn't like playing it. But I would ask them a question in French. Uh And then they would answer me in French. And I would not understand them. (laughs) And then they would get frustrated and start speaking English and wonder why I even started this game. Right. That happened to me in a restaurant once where she she just told me to choose one and stick with it. So, but we love the French. Yeah. Sometimes they appreciate your attempt. Yes. But then it gets too far and you're like, whoa, this is. Why are you trying to do something you can't do? Stay in your lane. Keep your tits out of my language. (laughs) Keep them out. (laughs) 
So he's looking at this dome. The dome. This huge architectural marvel. It's freestanding. It's made of wood. It's got a ton of skylights. So the sun is like shining down like bam. It's beautiful. It was like the Eiffel Tower of its day Mm -hmm. as far as being a tourist attraction. But it was called Bleu. It was called the Hall of Bleu. The Hall of Bleu. Disappointment. It means um, corn place. Corn? Bleu is corn in French? Bleu? I believe, yeah. Corn? It was it was the corn exchange. It was like a spice exchange, except for corn. I don't know if I'm disappointed or not, or just marveled. Okay, continue. The 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 dome of, of corn. Uh, when Jefferson got there, he called it the most superb thing on earth. Really? But when he was there, he saw something even more beautiful. Not Angelica. No. He saw something by the name of Maria Luisa Caterina Cecilia Hadfield Cosway. Oh, not a mouthful at all. I'm not, not even going to try to repeat that. What's the first name? <laughs> uh, actually, uh, it's spelled Maria, so I'm probably going to say it Maria a lot. Okay. But I believe it was pronounced Mariah. Oh, interesting. That's pretty. So if you... Uh, Causeway. You feel free to correct me on that. Okay. What do you want me to correct you on? I'm talking to our listeners. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I if you know how to... to me for corrections on something, this is a first. I'm sorry, I won't make eye contact with you with again. This? <laughs> yeah, just don't look at me. <laughs> That's probably best. If you had uh, the scarf on your eyes, that <laughs> wouldn't would be, a problem. be a problem. Right. We'll we'll have to consider the bondage. Okay. Okay. All right. Get a little saucy. We'll just lower that scarf a little. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> I see that your feelings come out. <laughs> it's good wine. That's nice wine. She was 27. He was 43. Holy jeez. Yeah. I mean, that's like back then, nothing. 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 It's not, not that really much now. either. It's not like she was 14. She was gorgeous. Curly blonde hair. She had what one biographer called pouty, kissable lips. Oh. I'll show you a picture of her. Oh, cool. That she did herself. She painted this herself? She was an accomplished painter, among many other things. Um, I'm looking at a painting of Mariah sitting in a red chair, and she has her arms crossed. Like, nothing can sway this woman one way or another. But she looks very soft, so she has a confidence to her, but doesn't lose her femininity and her softness. And I'm not saying that you have to be soft to be feminine. I'm just saying she has this feminine softness to her. And a huge hat. It looks like a big thing of dough. Like, it should be some kind of cinnamon roll. She's very pretty. I'm not seeing the lips, though. Her lips look pretty normal to me. They're not, they're not so kissable. Um, she was British, but she grew up in Italy as a real-life Catholic schoolgirl. Real life, huh? Not a fake one? No, real Catholic schoolgirl, like as Catholic as you get. Okay, so she was spanked with rulers and had the guilt. She was a musical prodigy. She played several different instruments, like concert level, at a young age. When she was 10, she was invited to play the harpsichord by some of the royalty there in Italy. Wow. She spoke five or six languages, and she was a gifted artist. Oh, and she had a dark, tragic past to boot. Really? Did she lose her husband? <laughs> no, that might not have been that tragic. Um, <laughs> when she was young, an insane nursemaid killed four of her older siblings and was planning to kill her what? when she was stopped. What? Oh my gosh. So they had a psychotic nanny? Yeah. Who killed the children? She said she wanted to send them to heaven. Oh, dude. What? How did she do it? We don't have many details. We have one letter from her. Apparently, her nursemaid had young Mariah in her arms as a baby, and someone overheard her saying, 
and now I'm going to send you to heaven. Oh, my gosh. She probably did it with poison. Maybe. We don't know. Okay, but somehow she survived as a baby. She survived this because I'm pretty sure that God stepped in and was saying, no, we, no, trust me, you want to see how this one grows up. Yeah, she's got a lot to offer, not to mention, you know, breaking Thomas Jefferson somehow. Yeah. So when she met Jefferson, there were immediate sparks. Jefferson and Mariah Cosway canceled their evening plans and they spent the day together. It was just Thomas and Mariah taking in all the glory of Paris. I think John Trumbull was there with them that first day. Mm -hmm. Oh, and Mariah's husband. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was married to a very special man. He (laughs) was extra. Extra special? Extra terrible? Extra period, Okay, as the kids say. (laughs) Richard Cosway was almost 20 years older than her. Her mother basically married her off to him because he was a famous artist and the thought was he could take care of her and hopefully further her career. Everybody agreed that he looked like a monkey. And I have a picture here to show you so you can judge for yourself. This is a picture. Oh, no. This is a a portrait of Richard Cosway done by Richard Cosway. Oh, so this is is his self-portrait. So this is the best it gets, (laughs) basically. Yeah. This is... Okay, so remember when um, Men in Black, the first one, where they go into the watch store and they shoot that alien's head and it grows back all strange, like the ears yeah. are big and yeah. then he's kind of slimy and it grows back slowly? That's what this reminds me of. This is what he looks like. There were caricatures of him done as a monkey. A guest at one of their parties described him as her odd little husband, dressed up in the very extreme of fashion flitted about through his gaily decorated rooms, ogling, flirting, and bowing with the airs of a prince. So arrogant much? Arrogant, narcissistic, uh, also probably kind of insane. He claimed that he spoke to famous artists of the past. Uh, He once painted the Virgin Mary, and later he pointed to a chair where he said she had sat for him for the paintings. So schizophrenic much? He was a whole bag of interesting... He was eccentric. He was extra. Extra. I get it. Yeah. Okay, period. Yeah. He was the official painter of the Prince of Wales, a title that no one had ever had before him or since him. Did he give him that himself that title? No. He... Uh, going back to Hamilton, since half the cast of mm-hmm. Hamilton is over here right now. The Prince of Wales was the son of King George III, and he would eventually go on to take over for him as king. Richard started painting the prince when he was just two years old, and he stayed in the prince's good graces by supplying him with certain things. Sex favors? Pornographic snuff boxes. Oh, so I wasn't far off. What's a snuff box? It's a box where you keep your snuff. You know, it's like a early tobacco. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. Snuff. Snuff. Tobacco. Yeah. Okay. Not cocaine. No. I don't know if any of these boxes still exist, but one was described as a scene of Leda and the Swan. It's a Greek myth about Zeus taking the form of a swan to seduce or maybe rape a woman named Leda. Jesus. Uh, I searched for images of that to get a better understanding. That you did. <laughs> uh, that was a mistake. Oh, no. Why? I've seen things I don't want to talk about. Uh, I saw that one painting from 1740. That you can't unsee. It makes me scared of swans. Are you about to show it to me? Do you want to? Do you want to see what I saw? Well, I don't know. Do you want this terrible outcome for me as well? I don't... Do we need both need not to be sleeping? Yeah. 
Okay, I'm Are on you ready? board. I'm ready. This is not Richard Cosway's, but this is from 1740. This is a painting of Lita and the Swan. Oh, fuck. The swan's all up in there. I don't... Yeah, thank you for that. But yeah, the swan is in places a swan should never be. And um, yeah, that's all you need to know. So Richard Cosway was a catch. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Uh, he also cheated on Maria constantly with women and men. Oh, yes. Lovely. He clearly was someone to, to marry off to your own daughter. <laughs> I can't disagree with that. Thomas and Mariah spent nearly every day together after that for weeks, uh, usually with other people, sometimes probably without. They went to fancy places. They did all the beautiful, romantic things that people could do back then. They saw hills and statues and gardens, uh, cutting-edge hydraulic water pumps. Um, <laughs> it was perfect. <sighs> it was too perfect. Something had to give. Yeah. Was it his... Go ahead. I won't say. It was Thomas Jefferson's wrist. His wrist. Yeah. It's hard to know for sure what happened. Uh, it's hard to know for sure if they were even together. But what we know for sure is that at some point, Thomas Jefferson broke or dislocated his right wrist. Uh, we know that Mariah Cosway blamed herself for this. And the only explanation we have from Thomas Jefferson is when he wrote to a friend with his left hand, how the right hand became disabled would be a long story for the left to tell. It was by one of those follies from which good cannot come, but ill may. So Jefferson is being coy here. He just doesn't want to talk about it. He's, a, he's kind of admitting that it was risky behavior that caused the accident. But the fact that he says it's a long story really makes me want to know the story. Right. It's not just I jumped over a fence or I jumped out of a window or... Yeah. And those are two of the leading theories, actually. Most people accept the explanation of William Franklin, Ben Franklin's son. He wrote that he heard Jefferson dislocated his wrist trying to jump over a fence. That's a shorter story. Yeah, as if he was trying to impress Mariah. <laughs> uh, some mistranslations of that letter, though, have Jefferson jumping either over a fountain or a kettle. How do you translate a fountain to a kettle? Something involving water he jumped over? They're totally different sizes. Maybe kettle meant something else back then, or I don't know. One book about presidential trivia tells the story, and it has a picture of Jefferson breaking his wrist by jumping out a second-story window so he doesn't get caught when Richard Cosway comes home. Mm. What is Richard Cosway going to do? Exactly. I don't, I don't think he was... Dance around him? I don't think he was one of those attack monkeys, <laughs> you know? Those gorillas? Yeah. That, like, tear off your arms? No, he was not going to do that. No. No, he was probably going to hit you with feathers really hard. <laughs> Show you a snuff box. Yeah, you know, um, Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a pony. Put a put a noodle in the hat. What, stuck what? a feather in a his feather. hat and called it macaroni. The macaroni <laughs> miniature painter was Richard Cosway's nickname because macaroni back then what? meant like a foppish character. So putting a feather in your hat called it macaroni. So you put a feather in your hat to be more extra. Yeah, to be extra. <laughs> There's a movie, it's called Jefferson in Paris, it covers this time. In that, Jefferson hurts himself jumping over a pile of logs. Okay. I can't uh -oh. picture him jumping out a window. No, that, that... How do you jump out of a window in those clothes anyway? You can't even get your legs straddled over the frame of a window. What do you think he was wearing? Thomas Jefferson? Yeah. I mean, one of his outfits... One of his Thomas Jefferson outfits. I mean, they, they were... They wore at the time. They were pants, you know. Yeah. Maybe he was nude. That makes more sense. You're right. That's probably he what happened. out of the window nude. Yeah. Now we know. 
Good thing he landed it on his wrist. <laughs> and it broke. That's unfortunate. So Jefferson's little fling was over. He was left brokenhearted and broken-wristed. Richard Cosway abruptly took Mariah back to England. Jefferson saw them off and went into another kind of depressive stupor. But the good news for us is that this gave him time to compose an epic letter to Mariah. With his left hand? Yeah. Wow. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's one of my favorite things that Thomas Jefferson has ever done as far as writing goes, I like it a lot better than the Declaration of Independence. Oh. Wow. So let's dig into it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's written as a dialogue between the head and the heart. And it, mm. it flows like a play with the characters feeding off of each other. It's, it's melodramatic and soulful. It's smart. It's funny. And it's 4,000 words long. Wow. So how many pages would that be? 12 pages. A 12-page love letter? And he wrote the entire thing with his left hand. Uh, one would be so lucky to receive a 12-page level. So the heart is one character and the head is another character. The head and the heart. Okay. So the heart starts out, I am indeed the most wretched of all earthly beings. Overwhelmed with grief, every fiber of my frame distended beyond its natural powers to bear. I would willingly meet whatever catastrophe should leave me no more to feel or to fear. Wow, drama. Yeah, his heart is saying, kill me. Yeah, kill me. I'll die now and be fine. Yeah. And that took 12 pages because yeah. he was writing with his left hand. Yes, he's just writing, kill me, kill, kill me, kill me, me kill over me. and over again. <laughs> the heart, kill me. But he dotted the eyes with hearts, so. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Well, he was cute. Mm -hmm. No, he wasn't. His head comes in and, and basically says, I told you so. You never should have started this relationship. And his achy, breaky heart is like saying, why are you kicking me when I'm down? And the head's answer is that this is the best time to kick you because that's when it's going to hurt the most. That's when you're going to remember what you did. Did? Yeah. What did he do? He opened up his heart to new acquaintances. Oh, He let people him. in. Yeah. He cared. And then his wrist is like a metaphor for his, his broken body. Yeah. He's his just heart. a broken man. <laughs> I love that it, it shows it like a self-awareness mm -hmm. of Jefferson's nerdy side, too. Mm -hmm. How so? His heart makes fun of his head for being such a nerd. He says, 
you are eternally getting us to sleep with your diagrams. He makes fun of how much Jefferson loves architecture, math, diagrams. And his head responds, well, you wish I'd put you to sleep that day so we never would have been in this mess. You get glimpses into Jefferson's life and, and what he's been through, too. Um, his heart at one point says, deeply practiced in the school of affliction, the human heart knows no joy which I have not lost, no sorrow of which I have not drank. Fortune can present no grief of unknown form to me. Wow. So translate that for us. I've lost so much in my life. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. He's saying that there's nothing that I haven't felt before. Mm-hmm. So this might as well be the end. Dark. It's very dark. Uh, then it kind of turns into a commercial for America. <laughs> <laughs> the head, the head it's at one. An interesting twist. Yeah, this letter does a lot of things. So twist number one. This is twist number one. Oh, I, I can't even count the twists. I'll count them for you. All right. That's why I'm here. The head says, <laughs> "What do you think is going to happen? Do you think that they're going to read this letter and they're going to come to America? Who's they? That's Marie the thing. Cosway? Mariah Cosway. So Mariah Cosway. Because of the conventions at the time, he couldn't just write and say, "Dear Mariah." I love you. I need you. We need to be together. In case Richard was reading it, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I love you too, Richard. We have so much fun together. Oh, the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's still strange. Everything about it is a little bit strange. So he lists all these great things about America and his head is like, you know, yeah, you're, that's true. America is beautiful. Anyone would be a fool not to visit. So one of the few <laughs> things that his head and heart agree on are how great America is. I'm glad they could agree on something. Yeah. It seems like he had visions of Mariah coming to Monticello and riding horses with him and looking out over the mountain and seeing the storms in the distance. And he really was playing it up. Uh, And like so many things with the founders, it all comes back to the American Revolution. Hmm. So he was able to work that in as well. He says that if it weren't for the heart, America never would have won the revolution because they were outgunned, outmanned, basically everything they sang about in Hamilton. He says, if our country when pressed with wrongs at the point of the bayonet, had been governed by its head instead of its heart, where should we have been now? Hanging on the gallows. You, his heart says to his head, you began to calculate and compare wealth and numbers. We threw up a few pulsations of our warmest blood. (sighs) We supplied enthusiasm against wealth and numbers. We put our existence to the hazard when the hazard seemed against us, and we saved our country. Wow. So he's really... Yeah, he's really rooting for the heart there. Yeah. And then he tells his head, I do not know that I ever did a good thing on your suggestion or a dirty one without it. Hmm. His head is just all about avoiding pain. Right. In any way. Uh, His head says, this is not a world to live at random in as you do. Everything in this world is a matter of calculation. Advance then with caution the balance in your hand. The making of an acquaintance is not a matter of indifference. When a new one is proposed to you, view it all around. Consider what advantages it presents and to what inconveniences it may expose you. Hmm. So he's saying do a cost-benefit analysis on every person that comes into your life. Too much logistics. I get it, though. Like, I mean, we're a little bit like that. (laughs) When when somebody invites us to something or when somebody is like, hey, let's do this, like, thing – Mm-hmm. Um, you got to think about like, are we, is this, does this mean we're friends? Cause that comes with a lot, you know? Yeah. I was thinking more like, Oh, how much will the babysitter be? And then is it worth getting dressed? Is it worth going? How good of friends are we? What 
what does this mean for my fatigue level? And you'll straight up ask whoever invites us somewhere all these things. I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he keeps telling his heart not to let people in. He says, do not bite at the bait of pleasure till you know there's no hook beneath it. The art of life is the art of avoiding pain, for nothing is ours which another may deprive us of. I mean, when you've fallen in love and lost your wife in a terrible way, it makes you think about, I mean, would you really want another love or another marriage? It's a valid know. question. It's like if you if you don't let anybody in, you can't get hurt. Well, exactly. It's kind of that, you know, common defense mechanism. But once you've been married, had your children and lost that person, I would say that your priorities of getting married again might be low. I don't know how it is back then, but you're like, oh, I've done that. I've done what society wants of me now. You know, maybe my path looks different. Well, a lot of people did remarry back then. Mm -hmm. um, often for more money, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. Like that was a thing. You would marry you, up. <laughs> you would marry up. Yeah. Even men would try to marry a widow. Oh, that'd be the best. Why? You get a widow and you she get... She has all the previous guy's money? Yes. That's oh. right. Yeah. I'm sorry. George Washington that. did it. James Madison did it. Wow. It was all the rage. Oh, man. To marry widows. Yeah. And there must have been a lot back then because people were dying left and right. Exactly right. So I can understand that strategy. He says, friendship is but another name for an alliance with the follies and the misfortunes of others. So he's being melodramatic on purpose totally, here. Yeah. But he's totally going into this whole, like, how could we ever let them in? He's basically taking that hard line while his heart is taking the opposite line. So mm -hmm. to see the same things from one person, it's, it's really enjoyable. <laughs> uh, his heart says, we are not immortal ourselves, my friend. How can we expect our enjoyments to be so? And then he channels Guns and Roses by saying, we have no rose without its thorn. No pleasure without its alloy. And then he writes, true, I feel more fit for death than life. Jeez. But when I look back on the pleasures of which it is the consequence, I am conscious they were worth the price I'm paying. Well, good. Yeah. So he's, he's choosing life. He's saying in 4,000 words what Alfred Lord Tennyson said in 14 words 60 his, years later. What were his 14 words? Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Oh. Yeah, that's basically the entire gist of Jefferson's letter. Way to letter. bring it home. <laughs> so you, you've always talked about the importance of listening to your gut. Mm -hmm. uh, where, where do you come down on the head <laughs> versus the heart? Uh, it depends on my setting. My heart takes over at times, for sure. I would? <laughs> <laughs> don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know. There has to be a happy balance between the two. Yeah. Or else you're not a human. If you're all head, then you're definitely missing out on some, some life. Being hurt is part of life. I can't imagine being where I am today with you without being terribly hurt in the past. So think it teaches you about who you are and how you grow you have to be hurt you have to go through the good and the bad yeah i think that's kind of what he was saying too and it makes sense you have to have a happy medium between the two yeah and i feel that um that's part of picking a career too you have to pick something where you feel like you can use both Ooh. Ooh. yeah yeah you use both on a daily basis in a healthy way you've won if you've done that wow yeah those are my 14 words <laughs> I'm not going to count them. <laughs> yeah. So like I said before, Jefferson burned all of his letters with Martha. But not this one. Not this one. He kept a copy that he made of it. He was proud of it. 
it represented the side of him that we don't get to see much. And maybe it wasn't like common knowledge that it's better to love and lost than never love at all. Maybe that's something that wasn't a saying back then. It wasn't then. Maybe it was a new thought process that he had discovered, and that's why he was so proud. I don't know. I feel like it's something that's kind of built into people. Maybe just guys. like Just guys? Yeah, women have no hearts. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this particular sense of... Oh, you're saying we have no heads. (laughs) Sorry, nothing to shake your tits about. (laughs) I can shake my tits where I want. What I'm saying, (laughs) the idea that you have these feelings that you're wrestling and it feels entirely unique. Just the inner turmoil that anybody going through puberty even feels. Mm -hmm. I think it feels unique to them. Like maybe they're the first person to feel it. Well, they're very dramatic feelings. And I think that that's what Jefferson was going through Mm -hmm. here in his, you know, 40-year-old puberty, <laughs> I think that these were feelings that he hadn't had in a long time. And he, he was loved wrestling and with lost. Them. Yeah. He loved and lost with Martha. Then he started to feel vulnerable to love again, hurts himself physically. Yeah. I mean, all this man did was write and drink and write and drink, and he hurt his writing hand. Yeah. Um, do they, keep, like, how do you keep letters you know, does Thomas Jefferson or John Adams, they like, oh, put this one aside for history. I'll keep this one in this folder so they find it. How do they? F- they would <laughs> they would preserve all their papers in certain places. And give it to who? Um, who gets it? His Passes family. it on. John Adams was really clear about that when he was getting up there in years. He would write to John Quincy Adams and say, um, you better be grateful. I just spent like all day in the attic organizing mm-hmm. these papers for you. <laughs> it would have taken you months after I died, yeah. but I'm doing it for you now. Oh, that's nice. I'll do that for my family just because, you know, I'm so OCD. I you know, I need that to carry over in death. Yeah, I'm sure that our children are going to love those Bed Bath & Beyond coupons. <laughs> Everything will be labeled. <laughs> Everything. Uh, when he wrote it, Jefferson asked Mariah to read the letter in at least six sittings each morning at toilet. So on the toilet. Oh, look, they have your habits. That's how I love to read my mail. Um, But I think he actually met when she was getting dressed and ready. She tore through the letter in one sitting and she told him I could not resist the desire to read it at once, even at the cost of committing an act of disobedience. Oh, naughty. (laughs) Very naughty. She was very naughty. So her reaction to the letter, she said, I honestly think my heart is full or ready to burst with all the variety of sentiments. So she appreciated it. Yeah, and her heart burst right there and then on the toilet. Ugh, gross. So their relationship after that just went downhill. Oh, no, that was the peak of it? That's it? That was a peak. They did see each other again the next year. But the sparks weren't there? Well, she came to France alone without her husband. It just wasn't as exciting for Something, him. Something had changed. They said they only got to see scraps of each other. He told her, you make everyone love you. And he said that she always had an entourage around her. They were supposed to get together for a more intimate dinner at his place right before she left. Mm -hmm. But he turned it into this huge party, almost like he was getting back at her or something. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I think when I was going back to the feelings that maybe men specifically have, um, that they think are uniquely (laughs) their own. women don't have feelings. (laughs) I can't speak to how this works with women. But I think with men, there's definitely, I've poured out my heart. I've given this thing to you, and uh, it's this completely unjustified caveman feeling of, like, 
I deserve your love now. Where is it? <sighs> and if it's not there, then I think there's the element of like lashing out. That's kind of, that's called entitlement. Yeah. I'm petulant. Yeah. Very, yeah. It's like childhood mentality. And I think maybe. I there... gave you this. Why don't you give me that? You're not going to. You know, that's. That's that Jefferson. summed it up for you. When he was asked to return to the U.S. to be the Secretary of State, he wrote to Mariah, I am going to America and you are going to Italy. One of us is going the wrong way, for the way will ever be wrong that leads us further apart. Oh, but she's like, you fucked up, dude. (laughs) You invited me to dinner and then had a party. They still have these strong feelings for each other, I think. But nothing like the time they spent together in France that first time. Could they ever really be together, though, since she was married? Poison. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been tough. Divorces didn't happen then? Divorces were not as common as somehow becoming a widow. (laughs) Well. He was 20 years older than her. There are options. She later wrote to him, kind of teasing. She said, are you to be painted in future ages, sitting solitary and sad on the beautiful Monticello, tormented by the shadow of a woman who will present you a deformed rod? twisted and broken. Wow, she was a writer too. She was everything. That's right, she was everything. So he may have been sad at Monticello, but he was not alone. I'm sure. Yeah. Him and his silk pants. (laughs) So, I bring this up because of the timing. One thing that might have changed on Jefferson's side was that just a few months after Mariah left for England, Thomas Jefferson's eight-year-old daughter, Polly, arrived in Paris, Mm -hmm. along with her maid. 14-year-old slave, Sally Hemings. Oh, God. Sally was also... 14. Yeah. Yeah. This enslaved individual, Sally Hemings, she was also Jefferson's wife's half-sister. Half-sisters. Yes, they had the same father. (sighs) So Jefferson had written in that Head in the Heart letter, nothing is ours, which another may deprive us of. And unlike Mariah... No one could deprive him of Sally Hemings because he owned her. So fucked up. Yeah. He kept his promise to his wife. He never did remarry, but he had six children with Sally, four of whom survived. And they were enslaved. And there's so much more we could talk about when it comes to Sally Hemings. But I just wanted to bring that up because it has to do with the timeline of Jefferson's relationship with Mariah Cosway. Mm Mm-hmm. So a few years later, uh, Jefferson heard that Mariah and Richard were going to have a baby. He wrote to congratulate her, but I think his letter makes it clear that he didn't really understand her. Congratulations on your monkey baby. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Hallmark makes a card like that. Well, they should, damn it. He said, they tell me you are about to give birth. I congratulate you with all my heart. This will wean you from your harp and your pencil by filling your heart with joys still more bewitching. Wow. So he didn't understand what those artistic avenues meant to her. He seemed to think that motherhood was more important than her talents. Yeah, or that it should be. Yeah. Mm. And that that thinking wasn't unique to him, mm-hmm. but it's just right. such a shame. Um, it's not unique now. <laughs> no. But considering all her talent and everything they talked about and who she was, it's, it's just a shame that that it's had like to obvious. accompany his congratulations. So she gave birth to a little girl, Louisa. Um, but Mariah was not doing very well after the birth. Her doctors recommended a change of air. So she went to Rome. Oh. For four and a half years (laughs) without her daughter. Oh. So wait a minute. She left her daughter with 
Monkey Man. Monkey Man and probably lots of maids. nannies and maids. Hopefully not Mariah Cosway's nanny or maid. No, but... I think she was imprisoned. <laughs> she was. Okay. So, wow. She So for someone with such a past with nannies, she sure did depend on them. Yeah, we don't know. She just left her child. Yeah. She abandoned her child, basically, for four years. While she was gone, Richard Cosway had even more affairs. He started to get into the occult. Um, What does that mean for him? I think that means going to weird parties with William Blake. And (laughs) I don't know. I picture them doing acid and listening to records. but (laughs) Like a lot of Eyes Wide Shut situation. That's a bit anachronistic. I think basically Eyes Wide Shut. Let's go with that. Okay. Red capes, masks. Oh, for sure. Swan sex. That was probably his norm. Okay. <laughs> and he just got deeper into it. Oh, gosh. So Mariah came back. So what what happened to their daughter? Four and a half years later, Mariah came back, and she absolutely adored her four-year-old daughter. Well, they're easier then. They're a lot easier when they're four than When someone newborns. else raises them? Yeah, yeah, when someone else raises your kids, they you, it's easier to adore them. Yeah, so things were great. <laughs> um, but then two years later, little Louisa got a sore throat and died. Oh, mother... I know. This is how these stories go. That is so sad. I know. Uh, Richard just got more weird. He more had swan sex. He had Louisa's body put in a stone sarcophagus and kept in the parlor. Oh. Richard Cosway was being dramatic and romantic and keeping this thing around as like a reminder Poor of Mariah. this thing that had happened. So it's like constantly there. Yeah. So she left him. Mariah left Richard and she poured herself into religion. Wow. She went into a convent. Um, she eventually started a Catholic school for girls in Italy. Oh, yeah, Jefferson. I want to start a school one day. That sounds so great. Let's do it. Okay. After this. Okay. So Jefferson wrote to a friend that the loss of her daughter and the gloom into which that and other circumstances had thrown her has taken the hue of religion. So he was basically saying she's run to religion after all this pain. Makes sense. Yeah. He said her letters after that, let me see that her gaiety was gone and her mind entirely placed on the world to come. So depressing. To see someone change like that and be transformed. And even though he... Yeah. Although... He went through the same thing. Yeah. It's like they met at different times in their lives. And the carefree nature of her not having suffered all these things yet... Was attractive to him. Was attractive to him who had... Yeah, and he and she was the light at the end of the tunnel for him. And now she needs a light at the end of the tunnel. And I wonder what I wonder who was Mariah Causeway for Mariah Causeway. Probably those Catholic school girls, yeah. The children yeah. that she cared for. Yeah. So they wrote um on and off for the rest of their lives and they, they each kept a picture of each other. We'll never know the full extent of their relationship in France, mm-hmm. but I think that we summed up the significance of it. She helped open him up. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Jefferson is known for his dinner parties and mm-hmm. intimate conversation and wine. And mm-hmm. um, Sounds I like think, our house. <laughs> I think a lot of that came from his time in France. Yeah. And I think she probably played a role in uh, helping him to become that person. So one thing I read about Richard Cosway that struck me was that he became much harder to deal with after he lost the use of his right hand. How, what happened to him? He broke his wrist too? We don't know. I want to consider all the evidence. Uh, so I've added it to the list of possibilities for how Jefferson broke his wrist. Oh. So 
I can't wait. These are the possibilities. Okay. Window. Window. Mm-hmm. Fence. Mm-hmm. Fountain. Mm-hmm. Kettle. Mm-hmm. Pile of logs. Mm-hmm. Bone crushing kegel. <laughs> I just want to leave all the possibilities open. Yeah, I think we should consider all the evidence. I mean, the fact that another man also had a similar injury, it does not bode well for everything on that list except for the kegels. Clearly, she has a bone-crushing kegel. It must be it. But then her birth went so poorly, so you'd think that if she had a bone-crushing kegel, she could, like, pop that baby out, no problem, and she wouldn't need four years of air in Rome. That's a good point. But I don't want to judge. I didn't say she was good at them. (laughs) Yeah, you have to be able to grade your force. You can't just start crushing bones. You need to grade the squeezing. That's part of a good kegel. That's probably what she learned in school. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Bone-crushing kegels is I what she learned. <laughs> this is women's school back then, how to how to do a kegel. How to kegel. <laughs> That's part of Catholic schoolgirl <laughs> school, I think. How to kegel properly. Yeah. <laughs> that is the story of Thomas Jefferson and Mariah Cosway, mm. the artist who broke his heart and most definitely his wrist. His wrist. <laughs> uh, this Valentine's Day, write someone you love or just text them. With your left hand. See how that goes. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can find more information on plottingthroughthepresidents.com. And feel free to reach out on the Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe, write a review, and tell your friends. Thank you for plotting along. Thank you. The Hall of Bleh Disappointment.